0: Welcome back to The Perspective Podcast. We are back with episode number four. Today, we're going to be talking about the definition of biblical femininity and how that relates to the cultural ideas of feminism and that thought process that is very prevalent in today's American culture. Today, me and Blake are joined by our wonderful friend, Sage Showers, who is going to be giving us some insight on her thoughts on these topics and just engaging in discourse uh, with us on these various topics.
1: We thought it would be a really good idea to explore the topic of biblical femininity through the lens of a historical situation, and that is feminism, of course, in America. Very prevalent throughout recent history, meaning the last 100 years, and this current day. And so we want to talk a little bit about, well, the historical context for feminism, and then kind of get into a biblical conversation about Womanhood and its role in the church, role in Christian community.
2: Hello, everyone. My name is Sage Showers. I'm a sophomore college student, along with um, Blake and Drew here. I am here to just add my perspective to the topic of biblical femini- feminism um, and just what that looks like for me and what the research that I've done and what I've learned. So I'm very excited to be here and be a part of this conversation. Okay, so feminism as a topic is very complicated, Um, but there are a lot of different um, vocabulary terms that we would like to define for you guys that we might be using and throwing around during this episode um, that will make it more clear and easier to understand. And we're going to begin with uh, just a few main ones, Uh, one of the main ones being egalitarianism. Um, It's a political philosophy egalitarianism is basically the belief that all inequalities need to be removed from society economically, socially, and politically. This is just the view that literally all men and women are equal in all ways and also applies to the topic of color and gender and, and gender fluidity The next one being complementarianism, and that is the belief that men and women are complements to each other, separate strengths and weaknesses, equal but different. And there is a big distinction there because egalitarianism is focusing on equality in all things and complementarianism basically means that there are separate strengths and weaknesses. Women and men are not the same. They are equal but very different. And then chauvinism, is the last topic or a last term that we have to describe for you guys, and it's basically the attitude of superiority in regards to one's identity markers. Usually takes the form of strict male superiority.
1: Yeah, and so these three different terms kind of represent roughly a spectrum of the different roles and differences between men and women in society specifically as they relate to the Bible, as we'll be talking about in this episode. And I say rough markers because, once again, there's always a spectrum of thought with any topic. And that's one of the things that we talk about on this podcast a lot is finding the, the biblical middle. As we continue to talk through these different kind of philosophies, we want to kind of find where is the biblical support for that moderate temperamental side and the best, most truthful approach to men and women in society. What does the Bible say about us? How has God created us uniquely? And what does he want? What does he require before what we want or require? So
0: now I think we need to ask ourselves what exactly feminism is as a term. What does that mean feminism, specifically in American culture, in American history, what are we talking about when we're mentioning this term? Because there's a lot going on. So let's try to break that down.
2: Okay, so as a freshman at my university, I was in a class called Politics and American Culture. And I was not even aware that feminism actually has come in waves to the United States political scene, um, societal scene. And there's basically three main waves of feminism. Some people would argue there's a fourth, but if there is a fourth, it's not fully developed yet. We're just now entering that period historically, so we don't have a whole lot to say on that yet. But the first wave was basically started in the late 19th century. It was a response to injustice. Um, There there were many similarities between slaves and women when feminism began. Because of the similar belief that women could not think for themselves, they were considered property, property of men. Um, First wave feminism was a response to human rights violations of all types against women. Women had no property rights, they didn't have rights to their own children, they were more or less helpless if their spouse died, and there were limited work opportunities for them um, to support themselves. Marriage was paramount to a woman's existence. Her life could not begin without a male figure present in it. So first wave feminism ultimately worked to redefine the societal position of women and give them more independence. Um, that was like the suffrage movement and and um, allowing women a larger opportunity, larger freedom to enter the workforce, have their own positions in society. And then the second wave came along in 1960. Um, It coalesced with the civil rights movement, and a greater emphasis was given to reproductive and sexual rights as well as basic human rights. Women were consistently redefining the role of women in the workforce and as homemakers. And this was the beginning of identity politics and the morphing of race, class, and gender oppression as a combined political movement. An important thing to note for the second wave is that because it was so conjoined with the civil rights movement, a lot of people don't even realize that that was when feminism began to radicalize because it kind of got pushed under the rug. There were more important issues to figure out, especially around the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War. And Mm -hmm. then we move into the third wave in the 1990s. This is the wave we're currently living in. Um, If we don't consider the fourth wave a thing yet, it is the most radical wave of feminism. The focus is on body, gender, sexuality, and heteronormativity, which is a big word, But although it's unaddressed, there's an unspoken concept that women are in some ways not only equal, but superior to men. This is pretty significant and dangerous because it's a concept that we'll address when we come to biblical feminism. Um, If we were to talk about the fourth wave, it's more of a vague concept. It's 2012 onward. Ideas of intersectionality, even more radical views of sexuality. People just taking... Of course, the role of women and men in society and just graying the whole area. Gender is very fluid, sexuality is very fluid, there's no really black or white.
1: I'd like to also mention it's kind of interesting to see the flow of beliefs about gender roles change throughout America as technology has changed. A couple things come to mind specifically, um, we think of the information age and the way that that has allowed. Uh, people from all different types of backgrounds and situations to get their hands on resources that they may not have already been able to do. That usually takes the form of an intellectual resource, whether that be like an education or maybe a skill that they can learn. And well, the types of skills that are even stressed now are like STEM fields, things that are very um, intellectual. You know, uh, We don't have as many farmers <laughs> as we did in the late 19th century. Another piece of technology that has changed the way that women and men interact would be birth control and things like contraception, abortion. These things have had a major impact on our society's relationship to sexuality and relationships and a lot of different things. And I think that there are a lot of dangerous things that have come with that, certainly. And as Christians, it's just important to think through uh, what does that mean for us?
2: And I think that there's also an important um, point to make just on the fact that a lot of women are now viewing their main role to be their careers and their life before they start a family, before they get married. More and more women are waiting longer and longer to become homemakers or even to have children or placing just a greater emphasis on the fact that they are living their lives independent. And like Blake said, contraception, birth control, things like that are allowing that to take prevalence and while it is so wonderful and good especially coming from a woman woman's perspective that women are able to work so freely in the workforce and in the economy and everything homemaking is becoming less and less of a priority and more and more looked down upon which is dangerous when we're thinking about future generations
0: so today's culture will tell us that it's fantastic that all of these things are taking place, that gender norms, quote-unquote, are being demolished, the boundaries between men and women are being grayed out, all of these things are celebrated. But as Christians, we must see these things being celebrated and ask ourselves, what does God say about it? What does the Bible say? So what is the biblical definition of femininity? We have to ask ourselves, what roles has God created women to serve in? Because He did create specific roles for men and women to serve in. We can see various examples in scripture of him creating us to fill a specific role within his creation order, and I think we need to look into those.
2: I think an important point to make before we get into the idea of biblical femininity is that the Bible never condones nor condemns feminism, as in political ideology. That's an important distinction to make because when we're addressing addressing femininity from a biblical perspective, we as Christians must be very careful to speak directly from scripture. Like Blake and Drew said in their very first episode of this podcast, the Bible is our ultimate authority. So when asking a question like, what does the Bible say about feminism or what is biblical femininity, the Bible doesn't directly address that. We must take what it does say on women and treating God's people as a whole with dignity and respect and apply it to today's current culture and environment.
0: So what are the roles that God has laid out in his word that he has created women to fulfill? We have broken it down into four main roles that we believe that God has ordained for women to fill. The first of those roles is the helper role that is laid out in Genesis 2.18. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And after this, of course, he creates woman from the rib of Adam. And this term helper, I think some people deem as a derogatory term or an inferior term, but I really don't think that it does at all. It's not implying this inferiority, but rather more of a companionship. God looked upon... Adam and said it is not good for him to be alone. He needs a companion to walk through life with, and he created women. And he says that. Uh, in contrast to everything that God said was good, this was the one thing he said was not good that it is not good for man to be
1: alone. And in response to that, he created woman. And the word helper here in the verse in the original biblical manuscripts is the word azer, which translates to help or aid in time of great distress.
2: This word "azer" or helper is so incredibly powerful because it means women serve as a connection between God and man in times of great distress and need. She is present and gifted with the ability to pe- become an outlet of God's aid to man.
1: So the second topic that the Bible speaks to is the role of the woman in the family. Proverbs 31, 27 says, quote, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness, end quote. And obviously what this is getting at is a practical kind of application in the home. The woman is working and serving within the house and the people within the house. But there's also a kind of a spiritual element to the fact that she is in the world and being the hands and feet of Christ in a serving way.
2: Okay, another role that God has created women to um, serve in is also being an active part of the workplace and the economy. If we're quoting directly from Proverbs 31, um, starting in verse 13 all the way through verse 18 really, God directly addresses the woman's role as A worker and as a manager and taking care of her family and he begins with she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands she is like the merchant ships bringing her food from afar she gets up while it is still night and she provides food for her family and portions for her female servants she considers a field and she buys it out of her earnings she plants a vineyard she sets about her work vigorously and her arms are strong for her tasks She sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. This whole section implies that the woman is thinking independently and with wisdom when it comes to working in the world, making her own decisions about purchasing and selling and being very wise with her own money, her own finances to take care of her family and provide for her own little role in the family and and next to her, her husband so that her husband may also profit with her.
0: The fourth and final role that God has created for women to fill specifically is within the church. And obviously a lot of people have talked about this as kind of a controversial issue, but there certainly is a role for women in the church, and it doesn't have to be just about pastoral ministry. The Bible states quite often that women are often to be mentors to younger women. And they fulfill this wisdom teaching function in their teaching of uh, younger women and other women, especially in roles such as Bible studies or events or that sort of thing. And there is this distinction between men and women, especially when it comes to teaching. We see in the Bible that women are teaching women and men are teaching men, especially in like a small group or Bible study context. And then of course, when it comes to uh, service, a church service or a gathering of that sort where the genders are mixed, uh, we yield to the biblical teaching of a man in that pastoral position. In Titus 2, three through five, it says, quote, they, meaning older women, are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children and to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled, end quote. This, especially this first part of the verse, talks about older women teaching that which is good to the younger women in a training and exhorting role. I think an important distinction to make from this passage is the idea that women are not barred from a teaching role in the church, but the requirement there is that it is to other younger women. That's pretty clear in this Titus 2 passage. So these are the roles that God has ordained for women to fulfill biblically. But now we need to ask ourselves, what roles has he not created women to serve in? What roles are not part of his plan in this distinction between men and women? And the first one that we are seeing in Scripture is that of pastoral or church leadership.
1: I think that the passages that are commonly cited in First Timothy should be taken literally in regards to the role of women in pastoral leadership, starting with First Timothy 3 2, which says, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife. And this is in the famous passage about the qualifications for deacons and elders. It's obvious that this is talking about men. God has designed the structure of the church to imitate the structure of the family in a way and this distinction is important. We also see this in 1 Timothy 2.12, which says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. I think that there is a cultural discussion that can go on here in regards to Jewish culture and the purpose of gender roles within the church at that time, and depending on how much you want to read into the text, I think you should be careful. But... Looking at the New Testament structure of the church as set out by Paul, it is obvious and clear, and I think should be taken literally, the differences between men and women. So with that being said, it is appropriate and proper for women to not be in an elder, deacon, pastoral type role in the church.
2: Another role that God has not created women to serve in is family leadership. According to 1 Peter 3 1, quote, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct, end quote. This is important because husband and wife are supposed to be a team, but the wife is supposed to submit to the husband's leadership and guidance in the family according to God's word, and that's something that must be dis- distinguished. A whole nother discussion would be the 21st century problem of not having two parental figures in a family, but if a wife and a husband are working together, the wife must submit to the husband's guidance within the family according to the word of God.
0: And I think an overlap from that family leadership point is a marriage leadership point. Within a marriage, wives must submit to husbands, and that is laid out in God's word. So there is a bit of a difference between a family leadership role and a marriage leadership role, but they they have a lot of overlap.
1: The historical accounts in the Bible do not neglect to mention the important ways that women have been used in God's plan throughout history. Some of these include Deborah who was the fourth judge, Ruth, who showcases God's grace and redemption in the midst of a chaotic time through Boaz. There's also Rahab, who was used by God to help the Israelites along their journey. And finally, Mary, who was the virgin mother of Jesus.
2: In addition to those biblical examples of women, we also have a negative example of how women were treated in the Bible. Um, The treatment of women was used as a litmus test for Israel in the book of Judges. Women especially suffered the effects of sin when culture decays. And that has continued throughout history. We can see that the oppression of women and children is always a direct result of when sin infiltrates an entire culture and causes everything to be destroyed. The nation's relationship or the community's relationship with God is accurately measured by the treatment of women. It's something that, as a society, we have to be continually paying attention to. And that like applies to rape culture and abuse, that all of those are direct signs of sin permitting culture and a nation. And when that becomes prevalent and too much for us to just ignore and shove, we should never try to shove it under um, a blanket or under the rug. Because it is something that we need to be continuously calling out as an affirmation of the power of God and the power of God working through women and through um, just our treatment of how we should be approaching femininity as a whole and as a culture. And as Christians, it's something that we cannot just ignore because that litmus test applies to us as well.
1: So now that we've gotten through all of this material, we want to kind of share some of our conclusions that we've reached in terms of biblical femininity. And first, I just want to talk a little bit about the roles in the church in relation to women. And I think that when it comes to church structure and roles, God has set these out in creation and in the world, and they are of his design. And I think following them is not to our detriment. It can be very easy to have a cynical view of the exclusion of women from pastoral leadership and leadership in the church, the big C church all throughout the world. But I don't think that we will ever regret submitting to his calling and his truth in scripture that details what we are supposed to do. And talking about women specifically, the way in which they best reflect Christ is in their submission to God's truth which he has placed over their life in the roles that he has set forth.
2: Let's remember that God's desire for us is not to remove our freedom but to enable us with his freedom for the furthering of his kingdom. We will not experience fulfillment if we are living outside of the truth of his word. We cannot simply view the Bible's words on women and their societal roles as oppressive or abusive because that's simply not the case. The woman's deference to God's design for her is the most fulfilling, freeing idea of femininity that there possibly is. God's truth is not an idea of political egalitarianism where we constantly have to prove our empowerment in opposition to male oppression, instead we're freed from that comparison because under the throne of God and plan of God for women, our glory is in his design.
1: So after all this is said, we believe that the Bible points toward a moderate view of gender roles, which takes the form of complementarianism. Both men and women are important because they are created in the image of God, and they fulfill specific God-ordained positions in the world.
2: And to relate this back to all of the historical context and factual data that we gave you at the beginning of this episode, I want to once again remind you that, ultimately, the one perspective that should matter to us as Christians is what the Bible says. And when we are focusing on feminism as a political ideology, we need to relay everything that we are hearing, all the information that is coming to us back through the Bible and the information that we just gave you on biblical femininity is very crucial to your understanding of what feminism in the world should and should not be and what parts are toxic and sinful and what parts can actually be celebrated and condoned. And some of that is going to be open to further research on your part but I hope that this has given you a basic, simple introduction to what biblical femininity is and what the culture has to say about feminism.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this fourth episode of the Perspective Podcast. We will see you next time.